When police shoot civilians in the United States, the victims are often disproportionately people of color. So when reporters at the Arizona Republic decided to look into the issue in their own state, they wanted to make sure their sources reflected the people most affected. We definitely have a lot of white experts telling us what the problem is, and we have a lot of people of color activists, uh, for lack of a better term, complaining about the problem. Reporter Uriel Garcia and his reporting partner, Bree Burkett, decided their sourcing should represent the diversity of their community in Phoenix. We wanted to have a diverse list of sources, and not just diverse in ideas, but diverse in ethnic background, too. We wanted black professors, black lawyers, Hispanic professors, Hispanic lawyers to comment on this. On this week's episode, we'll hear how two beat reporters uncovered a dramatic rise in police shootings in their state. I'm Kelly Knoyer, and you're listening to the IRE Radio Podcast. Uriel wanted to find out how many police shootings had happened in Arizona in recent years. So he started making records requests in December of 2017 to try and capture every shooting that had occurred in the state since 2011. As soon as I uh, finished covering the trial of a former Mesa police officer who had been charged with murder for a non-duty shooting, I started putting in records requests for all 15 county attorney's offices. In Arizona, county attorneys are the equivalent of a district attorney. Each time an officer is involved in a shooting, the local county prosecutor reviews the case and writes a letter to the police department notifying them about whether charges were filed. Uriel had to request records from each of the 15 counties to cover the entire state, plus the attorney general. They're known as clearance letters. I put in 15 records requests asking for all the clearance letters from uh, 2011 to present, and so what we got was thousands of documents. The letters varied from county to county. Some were just a few paragraphs, while others were a dozen or more pages. The reporters had to do a lot of digging to fill in the gaps on each case. Here's Bree Burkett. And then after we got the basics from the letter, we attempted to fill in those holes using other resources. So that might be an autopsy report from the medical examiner's office in a case where maybe we didn't know if the person died or the age of the person, or pulling court records if the person survived and we were trying to find out more in, uh, more information about whether mental illness was a factor or uh, the race of a person, things like that. So in the end, it kind of ended up being a, a hodgepodge of a lot of different resources to create the database. The reporters did their analysis from scratch, using Google Sheets to pull together data on all the different police shootings. It was definitely a learning experience. I'm more familiar with using Microsoft Excel. So, you know, it it may sound a little silly, but I ended up just Googling formulas. But Bree says the experience made their reporting all the more in-depth. You know, especially was essentially trying to learn all of this stuff on the fly to make it happen, um, which got done. But, you know, obviously that can slow the process down a little bit. Um, but it did give us a greater level of familiarity with the data that we wouldn't have had if it was done by uh, someone else. From 2011 to 2018, they found 627 police shootings in Arizona, more than half of them fatal. That's a shooting every five days. And they found record high shootings in Phoenix in 2018, double the number of shootings compared to the previous year. The names of the victims are listed in the article like a memorial wall the dead highlighted in red. 
Finding the victims and their families wasn't too hard for Bri and Uria. They already knew about a lot of these shootings from several years of daily coverage as public safety reporters. We interviewed a lot of different victims' families. Um, you know, we do it in our normal breaking coverage, too, to an extent. And so I think when we were approaching these people, we told them, you know, this is a problem we're seeing again and again and again. And they were so, many of them were so interested in being part of that conversation because they were affected by this. And many of them felt like they weren't being heard. Bree interviewed Tita Garcia, whose fiancé Moises Baladares was fatally shot by police in 2017. Her fiancé was a former soldier, struggling with PTSD and depression. Tita had called the police when he came out of his room wearing a tactical vest and carrying two guns. When officers arrived at their home, Moises went outside and raised the handgun to his head. After 90 minutes of trying to de-escalate the situation, police fatally shot him when he put the butt of his rifle to the shoulder and his finger on the trigger. Two years after that trauma, Bree called Tita to ask about the incident. Immediately, she wanted to tell his story. She wanted to be a part of that because she thought that it was forgotten and there were so many different intricacies to it that were just ignored for, you know, a three-paragraph article after he was killed. The Republic's video team told the story of another police shooting, that of Charlie Murillo. On December 24, 2017, police received a call about a man with a knife. Police say he attacked them after they arrived. 25-year-old Charlie Murillo was shot twice with stun bags before officers shot and killed him, they say. His mother, Belinda Alvarez, spoke to the Arizona Republic about the shooting. Her tearful testimony drives home the effect of more than 300 civilians killed by police in seven years. And they said that they have the right to kill when their lives are being in danger. I understand that part, but he was a human being and not even an apology, no apology, at least from the police officer that did this, you know? Uriel met Alvarez soon after her son was shot, but he wasn't planning on writing a story at the time because he couldn't get much information from investigators. I kept her phone number on my iPhone, and I knew that eventually this is someone we may want to contact in the future. More than a year passed before the Arizona Republic's video team called her up. She was happy to talk. Uriel says a lot of families want to share their stories, and it's important to give them respect and empathy during the interview. You just have to be patient with them, too, because I think in the, in the cycle of trying to cover breaking news, we sort of detach ourselves emotionally as journalists. We just need the quote. I, I think we have to recognize that it's a traumatic experience for them. And what we're doing is we're playing basically social workers. We're playing psychologists, and we're asking these people, tell me about your trauma. After they found out about the sharp increase in police shootings in Phoenix in 2018, the reporters tried to identify a cause. They interviewed police, mental health experts, victims, and activists like Viri Hernandez. Here's a clip of Hernandez from the video that ran with the investigation. The majority, it's people of color, is young people, is people with mental health issues. It took the Arizona Republic a long time to confirm some of those facts, especially when it came to the race of the victims. We wanted to be able to answer the race question because we were seeing it come up in the conversation in Phoenix. People were saying that Phoenix police were killing Hispanics at a disproportionately high rate, and we wanted to be able to answer that because it was such a prevalent topic at that point. But it was a challenge to confirm that from the data. They found that certain counties consistently misidentified Hispanic people as white in the clearance letters. If we're going to identify race at all, 
we can't do it just using this data because it doesn't fully reflect our population. Because we live in a city where we have a huge Hispanic population, and to not do that would be a huge disservice. The reporters used court records, obituaries, police reports, and prison records to determine the race of those shot, but they were only able to get information for two-thirds of the cases. They also found that 89% of shooting victims had been armed. Most of them uh, were either guns or knives, um, but there were cases in which they were more, um, I don't want to, I guess, comical. Unique weapons, uh, things the average person might not consider to be a weapon. Yeah, that, that's right. It, it, more unique weapons. You know, we saw swords or barbecue tongs or a bottle of wine. But, you know, something that experts did tell me was even if they are guns, you know, just having a gun does not make you, does not justify a shooting. Despite that, police shooting victims who were armed are unlikely to get justice. That's because of a U.S. Supreme Court ruling, Graham v. Connor which creates a standard for use of force based on what a reasonable police officer would do in the same situation. So it doesn't matter if it's a, an open carry state or not, it, it all has to do with that determination of, is it, does it constitute a threat? Is the weapon being pointed? Is it being pulled out? Is someone reaching for it? That sort of thing. Police always te- uh, point toward some kind of threatening motion. And in a lot of these police shooting cases, the public is more likely to side with police, Uriel says. Some of the experts and some of the lawyers who we spoke to told us that it's pretty subjective to say what what is a threat, and and it, it all just comes down to the public's get most likely to not is going to believe the police officer. That's part of the reason that in all but one of the 627 cases reviewed, the officer involved was cleared of criminal wrongdoing, and that one was acquitted. Because racial minorities are more likely to be victims of police shootings, the Republic's team wanted to make sure the story included diverse voices. But for Uriel, that went beyond activists and victims. We wanted to have a diverse list of sources, and not just diverse in ideas, but diverse in ethnic background, too. We wanted black professors, black lawyers, Hispanic professors, Hispanic lawyers, to comment on this because we definitely have a lot of white experts telling us what the problem is. People of color aren't just angry people. They're also experts in certain subjects. He wanted to break out of that old paradigm of minority victims, white experts. And he turned to his paper's diversity committee for help. The committee is a voluntary group of reporters at the Republic who aim to make sure the paper's coverage reflects the diversity of the community it covers. We felt more confident in reporting that our stories were going to be as diverse as possible. Beyond that, Bree said they worked hard to get every perspective they could. So we did dozens of interviews for this, between local law enforcement, local unions, local experts, whatever, dozens of them, and I think what, like a, a very small handful actually ended up in the story, because we wanted to ensure that we understood the intricacies of what we were embarking on. The Phoenix Police Department was an especially key source for this report, because they'd had 44 shootings in 2018, a huge increase from previous years. But the reporters didn't just look at that number in a vacuum. We were also able to find that Phoenix police had been outpacing uh, major cities on a per capita basis. The police department was searching for an explanation. Uh, The Phoenix police department actually paid an outside organization to come in and try to identify why it was so high. Um, But they didn't really reach uh, any major consensus. 
Phoenix police said they wanted to figure out why they were struggling with officer-involved shootings, but department leaders didn't seem interested in reviewing the Arizona Republic's analysis. We struggled to get a meeting with Phoenix police. It took quite a while to set that up. And, um, you know, it felt like a lot of other meetings we had with law enforcement representatives where they just had their minds made up. We came in with data, and it felt like they just didn't want to discuss that data. They sent the data to the department ahead of time and heard back that the police chief would review their findings before their meeting. And in our meeting with Phoenix police, uh, particularly the Phoenix police chief, she didn't address our findings. In fact, we noticed she didn't have a copy of our findings. They were discussing their own uh, city-funded findings, which didn't have a lot of what we had. By chance, the article came out in the middle of a public relations crisis for the Phoenix Police Department. The day before was a community meeting following the outrage over uh, a Phoenix police officer pointing a gun at a a pregnant woman and uh, her fiancé, which was uh, quite the incident here. A family was stopped after one of their toddlers allegedly took a doll from a dollar store. And a video of the incident appears to show police pointing a gun at the kids. At the community meeting, Arizona Republic videographers captured Police Chief Jerry Williams responding to community criticism. Real change doesn't start with the police department. Real change starts with our community. There are those of you who think when I say community, I don't mean the police department. The police department is a part of this community. The the community is a part of this police department. That viral video drew some attention to the Republic's investigation, but it also kept the police department busy. We've never heard from Phoenix police. They have not commented either way since the release of the story. So far, 2019 hasn't seen as many police shootings in Phoenix. Breeze said there's been a 60% drop compared to 2018. Still, the team isn't done reporting on police shootings, and they have some follow-ups. The next one we'll be doing, um, we will be looking at the officer's perspective, which wasn't really uh, done in the first round of stories, and we'll also have a couple looking at some of the crisis intervention, the mental health training that is being offered to officers to help in these situations, to kind of stop a shooting before it even starts. You have a couple stories as well. Right, yeah, there's one story is about what happens to a person who's shot by police and survives. If you survive a police shooting, most likely you'll be charged for assaulting the officer, even even when the assault isn't very apparent. We want to be able to also create a profile of a police officer. We want to be able to tell the public these are the officers who shot at someone. These are the officers who've been involved in two or more shootings and, you know, give details of each case. And Bree has some tips for reporters hoping to create a database of police shootings in their own state. Clearance letters are the way to go. Um, we know every state has some version of that, and that's just any time the any attorney's office, the DA's office, whatever you want to call it, screens the case to determine whether it was a justified shooting. That is your best foundation if you're ever going to attempt a story like this, which is because it, just, it gives you your parameters for the number of shootings, and then you can build from there. Yeah, I mean, logistically, that's that's the best advice I think we can give. But I guess more on an, an emotional level is don't give up. I mean, if you have a hunch that there's a story there, uh, there it's most likely a big story. Um, if, if police officers or 
certain record uh, clerks are telling you, why do you need this? It's because they don't want you to see it. <laughs> so it's most, you should continue pushing for those records. And above all, rely on your colleagues. Uh, there was a lot of people in the newsroom who helped out. Uh, so it, was, it was with source building, uh, even just even just talk, talking to people, uh, you know, expressing frustrations. This project was really an, a, a team effort, and you know, sometimes just uh, supporting your colleagues, you know, doesn't get a byline, but they deserve as much credit. Thanks for listening. Take a look at our episode notes for links to the Arizona Republic's reporting and two new stories from the same investigation. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And you can spend hours listening to the stories behind some of the best investigative reporting in the country at ire.org podcast. The IRE Radio Podcast is recorded in the studios of KBIA. Sarah Hutchins is our editor. From Columbia, Missouri, I'm Kelly Knoyer. Radio. Podcast. Podcast. You might want to do that already. Okay. Podcast. Podcast.